Listening to the Fret Files, the Guitar Repair Podcast with Eric Daw. The Guitar Repair Podcast. Uh, my name is Eric Daw. It's a podcast about all things related to guitar technology. Guitar science, if you uh, want to call it that. I call it that. Uh, I really am obsessed with a few things in life, and one of them is guitars. It's, it's a total obsession. It's what I've spent the last almost 20 years of my life doing is... Um, Repairing, building, and playing guitars. Of course, among other things, I take I take breaks to eat and such. But uh, you know, and it's I've been obsessed with I've been obsessed with a lot of things for um, for many years, and one of them is talk radio. It's absolutely an obsession with me. And I, you know, it's funny how I I run into a lot of guitar repair people that are the same way. At some point, it's it's hard to listen to the same music all day long. I can certainly do it, um, but there's just kind of a pleasing hypnotic thing that happens when, when, uh, when you're listening to a, a talk show that you're riveted by, and uh, man, you can get so much work done. Before you know it, uh, hours have gone by when, when you're listening to a show that you're interested in. So, you know, in the back of my mind, and, I, and I've, been, I've been addicted to talk radio since I was probably 10 years old, uh, back in the 90s, I was listening to Art Bell, I was listening to Rush Limbaugh, I was listening to uh, Bruce Williams, loved Bruce Williams. Um, And I've always thought in the back of my mind, gosh, wouldn't it be cool to have some kind of a talk show, some kind of a a podcast, you know, a radio show, but, well, you really, there's really uh, a, a special formula for what makes a a radio show interesting. And uh, that formula is this. You know, you've got to have a host who is absolutely credible and knowledgeable about a subject. Now, uh, politics interest me. I could try to have a political show, but uh, I'm really more of a spectator than than a commentator. I, I'm not that knowledgeable about it. Um, th- plus, it's been done to death. I could do a show about the paranormal. That's been done to death. Um, and it's really not my expertise. I could do a lot of things, but um, it didn't occur to me till recently that um, I actually have a field of expertise, and it's guitar repair. Um, so this is the debut episode, my first foray into uh, trying to make an entertaining show for you uh, and maybe some fun for me. 
by having this podcast? Well, let me tell you. Some other things that I've been obsessed with my whole life, and especially when I was a kid, are, uh, well, Buddy Holly. I was absolutely obsessed with Buddy Holly when I was a kid, and I had never even thought about guitars. And really, I I blame Buddy Holly for the way my entire life has gone. Uh, When I saw the Buddy Holly story when I was a kid, maybe six years old, uh, on... One night on TBS, you remember Ted Ted Turner's uh, uh, network that where everything started five minutes late. I don't. Do they still do that? That's the weirdest thing. Uh, so, um, one night I I caught the Buddy Holly story, and my dad uh, and I watched that, and I was absolutely, as a child now, blown away. I thought, that's it. I need a guitar. I need a guitar. There is this my life has opened up to me now and I see the future I see the path that I must take and I need a guitar so mm, my dad uh took me down to the hardware store which is where you bought a good guitar back in in those days and uh <laughs> at least in my town and he bought me a little plastic guitar that was um my prized possession and uh, eventually I got an electric guitar the next year and um I was just I was obsessed with guitars, but I was also the kind of kid that if I got a radio, the first thing I did was took it apart and rather than listen to it. Um, I, I was I was obsessed with how things work, and the guitar was no different, you know. Uh, when I got my first electric guitar and I realized that there were magnets in the pickups, oh boy, well, I had to, I had to know how that worked. There's no... Uh, that I could not understand how an electric guitar made sound because there was no battery in it. Here's a string vibrating above a magnet, and somehow that creates enough signal uh, to get to the amplifier and and be made into a a sound. And of course, the amplifier's plugged in, but what's going on in the guitar? There's no electricity coming up the cord to power the guitar. Well, uh, I I realized that um, that that coil of wire around those magnets is is amplifying the... the, uh, the disturbance in the magnetic field that the metal string is creating. Uh, and uh, just things like that have always fascinated me. So it was a natural progression for me to get into guitar repair, which I, I did. And um, that's what I've been doing for a long, long time now. It's it's something I really love. It's something I really like doing. It's something I enjoy talking about. And it's something I enjoy helping people with. So um, this, is, uh, this is kind of a natural thing for me here. And I'm I'm excited to take some of your questions. I'm excited to, um, I'm going to read emails. I'm going to take calls. I'll, I'll explain how that works later. Uh, I'm going to interview, I, I sure have a lot of friends in the business, uh, and I want to interview a lot of people that, that aren't friends yet. Um, guitar makers, uh, guitar repairmen, um, pickup manufacturers, gosh, it, the, the list is endless. I think that there is going to be plenty of fodder for this podcast and and I'm sure there'll be diversions you know um you know, my ADD will kick in and and we'll probably uh talk to uh, uh, all kinds of people and and about all kinds of subjects so um even if you're not interested in guitars this might be an entertaining show for you I don't know I guess we'll see anyway uh maybe let's uh, let's take one of those diversions now uh, and uh, my wife is sitting here in the other room let's talk to her and uh Joining me on the phone here is my lovely wife. Hello. Thanks for thanks for helping me test the phone. 
I'm I'm kind of new to this trying to take calls over the computer through a microphone and through a mixer and it's really in, it's really interesting. You're doing good. Well, maybe. There's quite a delay. Yeah. I've noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh what are you doing in the other room there? I am putting wood on the fire trying to get it going again. Cool. Yep. Uh so you know, I'm trying to do this podcast here in the other room, and I'm telling you, I am, I, I don't know, I'm really tired. It's hard to do. Well, maybe you should take a break. Well, uh, and the reason I'm tired is is because we have a newborn baby in the house We've that's been keeping us up, and, and uh, we, you know, not that I'm complaining, we love it. It's been awesome, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been super awesome. We had a baby about three weeks ago, our first baby, a little boy. And uh, you delivered the baby with without any pain medication, didn't you? Yeah. Man, that is just so amazing. It really, it really blew me away that you could do that. So uh, I, you know, how? Uh, yeah. How bad was the pain? I mean, judging like uh, from one to ten, if one was changing the high E string on an acoustic guitar, and ten would be uh, resetting the neck on a '70s Guild 12-string with a with a caved-in top. <laughs> from so from one to ten, how bad was the pain? It was definitely a ten. Yeah. Yeah, it was the most pain I've I've ever experienced in my life. Wow, the most. Definitely. Wow. But not. I mean, I've you know never really been injured or anything, so it's kind of like you know saying that the Titanic was the most damaged the night that it sunk. Of course it was. Well, so was it a 12? Well, I'm sure I could endure worse pains. Yeah, well... I don't know. Well, it was worth it, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, for sure. Now we have a precious little baby boy. Yeah. Who keeps us up. sure is sweet. Yeah. I picked a weird time to try to start a podcast. That's the perfect time. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for um, thanks for helping me test the phones here. You're welcome. Yeah. Okay. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. 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 Absolutely riveting radio. I'm sure you're you're all glued to your to the edges of your seats, or glued to your seats, or I don't know, you're glued to something. I'm always covered in glue. Uh, so let's do this. We're gonna take a quick break, um, and I'll come back and uh, explain a few things to you. Fret Files podcast is sponsored by Emerald City Guitars. Emerald City Guitars is the Northwest's premier vintage guitar store. In fact, it's uh, one of the world's most well-known guitar stores. We specialize in vintage gear. I say we because, hey, I work there. I'm the repair specialist. I've been there for uh, 13 years now, and uh, I do all the all the customer uh, repairs and all of the... Um, a lot of the restorations that happen on a lot of the gear that's that's uh, for sale there. You should check out Emerald City Guitars' website if you haven't. EmeraldCityGuitars.com. You will be astounded at the inventory. It is, it's really amazing, and I'm I'm blessed to work there. It's an awesome store. Uh, you should check it out. So, Emerald City Guitars, check it out.
for joining me here on The Fret Files, the guitar repair podcast or the guitar workshop podcast. I don't know. I I thought for a long time about what to name this show, and I, I, I had a lot of ideas, and a lot of my friends had some amazing ideas. Um, it was almost called... Uh, uh, guitar science with Dr. Daw, but you know, I'm not really a doctor and this isn't really a science show, but I don't know. In the end, the fret files, that's good. I like it. I like it. It's uh, it has a double meaning. It's funny, I guess, kind of, I don't know. I like it. So, uh, I would love it if you would like to participate in this show. And I thought for a long time about how to do that. And there's a couple of different ways I'm going to do this. You know, I work in a repair shop, in a guitar repair shop. It's my full-time job. 40 hours a week, and uh, I get a ton of phone calls. People call me all day long. Eric, help me with this. Eric, how do I do that? Eric, how much does this cost? How, how do, you know, help me. So one of the things I'm going to do is gonna I'm going to record some of those calls uh, as I get them in my shop, and I'm going to play them for you uh, for this podcast, the ones that I find interesting, and I'll get, of course, I'll get the caller's permission to to, to use the uh, the call for the show, and uh, some of the more interesting calls will be showcased here. The other way that I can take callers is uh, I've set up a special phone line for you to call any time of day, and nobody's going to answer it. You don't have to worry about that. It's just going to be a, uh, an, a an answering machine, and you can call up, leave your comment or question, and uh, I can play it. I can then play the audio on the air, and that number is 757-774-8482. So if you want to participate in the show, you can call that number and uh, leave me a message there, leave me a question or comment about guitar repair, uh, about uh, any kind of technical issue about guitars. That's 757-774-8482. The other way, you know, if you don't want to hear your own voice, uh, and I can understand that, uh, you can go to ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com, Click the contact link, and you can send me an email there, and I'll read emails on the air, and uh, we'll take calls. I think it'll be a lot of fun. So uh, let's go to the phones. Here is a a call that I took from a uh, a poor fellow who's got a broken headstock. Let's check it out. Hi, Eric. Um, my name is Alan, and I'm calling about a um, Gibson Thunderbird bass where the headstock has basically has pretty much just snapped completely off. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering um, about getting repaired. I was wondering sort of like ballpark, like how much that sort of thing would cost. Is it in two pieces? I mean, it's literally broken off completely? Uh, the wood is is kind of uh, splintered. I think that what happened was that uh, it was broken at one point and then fixed, but very shoddily in order to be resold oh, uh-huh. and then rebroke. Okay. So I don't know what that does. Or I mean, I'm going to get it out right now and sort of give you my, my best, uh, best description. Yeah. When they're, when they're broken very badly yeah. or broken multiple times, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of a um, situation where there's a, every time you fix it, it's kind of diminishing returns because we're sure. gluing old glue and it's uh, not really yeah it doesn't want to go together just exactly right anymore um, yeah the best uh, usually the best fix on a situation like that is to route you know once you glue it up 
route two channels and then inlay some hardwood across mm -hmm. the break. Yeah, so it's so it's right. Um, it's the the actual the the headstock itself is split. Um, so if, the, if you were to imagine a line going straight along the the the, the back of the neck and just in, but instead of curving out, it would it just continued straight up. And so that's sort of splintered there. What uh, what color is the paint? It's black. So th those can usually be made to to look pretty good when they're black. Sure, sure. I'd imagine that the 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 sunburst ones are quite a bit more difficult. Yeah, or natural is even worse. Oh yeah, yeah. So to give you kind of a ballpark estimate, um, or best guess, you know, without seeing it. Yeah. Um, a, a typical headstock repair is going to be in the you know 150, maybe 200 dollar range, mm -hmm. uh, depending on how bad it is and how much touch up it needs. It it can exceed that, but um, in your case, what, you know when they've been broken several times and when they have uh, multiple uh, breaks and and issues like that, the best course of action is to glue it up uh, and then inlay two hardwood splines across the the break mm -hmm. to strengthen the the uh, uh, the joint there and if done properly that should really extend the life of your base um, if we just glue it chances are it's just gonna break again if it's been glued several times and is not holding but you know that's without seeing it it's hard for me to, to gauge but um, uh, it's going to be. It's going to run about twice what a normal headstock repair would run, uh, maybe in the three hundred dollar range to maybe four hundred dollar range, depending on how bad it is. Yeah. And how much touch up it needs. Okay. 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 Cool. Thanks very much. Thank you. Bye bye. Right, bye. So a couple things about that call. First of all, the the audio quality sucked. You know, I'm going to have to figure out a a better way to to record phone calls uh, at work. But I don't know. Maybe it'll maybe it'll work. That wasn't too bad. That was just. Believe it or not, that was recorded directly off a handset from a, a landline phone, an old Bakelite phone. Not bad. Anyway, um, so, yeah, poor guy's got his headstock broken. It was already glued up once. Uh, it was kind of a, a less-than-stellar job, and then, of course, it breaks again. So, man, I feel so bad for people when they uh, break their headstocks. It's such, a, it's such a problem on Gibsons. I see it all the time. You know, a fender... My goodness, you could you can pretty much throw a Fender Telecaster or a Strat across the room, and I mean it might get dinged up, but the headstock's not going to break off. No way, never. You never see a, a broken headstock on a Fender. Those maple necks, their uh, uh, the headstock pitch, the the wood, everything about it, they're they're just not going to break. With Gibsons, they've got that angled back headstock that makes the grain very short through that part of the headstock, and it's really porous wood, mahogany on most Gibsons, and uh, man, all, they just have to take one dive, just one, one dive, one one fall from a guitar stand, and that's it, man, it, it's game over, uh, and it really devalues the the guitar, and you know, anywhere from maybe, I don't know, 25 to 50 percent, depending on what the guitar was and how, how well it was repaired, but um, 
It's always something that even after you get it repaired, it'll always need to be babied, but they have to be babied before anyway, really. I mean, Gibsons are, in my opinion, they're kind of a dainty guitar. I mean, they're awesome. Don't get me wrong. I love Gibsons. I'm, I'm more of a Fender guy myself, but uh, boy, they really need to be babied. You, you, can't, you can't be throwing those Gibsons around. Uh, and... I gave him a price quote, and let me let me say something about that there. I, I, I debated on whether or not I should do that on the air, and uh, I decided that, that I will, and here's my caveat. You may have heard my price quote and um, said, really, that much? Or, I don't know, I'm, I'm not sure what your reaction was, but uh, guitar repair prices vary, and they vary um, regionally. This is... Uh, a repair shop in Seattle, Washington. It's a metro area. Um, the The repair prices are going to be higher than they would be in, say, Rigby, Idaho. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a regional thing, and um, it's also uh, dependent upon the quality. There are shops that that uh, all over the country that are going to charge less uh, and not do as good of a job. So. Um, you know, the, the, the prices can vary and, um, you, you may want to keep that in mind. Uh, when I give out prices, I'm giving the price that I would charge in my shop and it's a pretty standard price for a metro area, but they will vary. So, uh, and, um, I always tell people, be careful of, of, be careful of repair guys that give you a quote that just seems incredibly cheap. You know, there's uh, there may be a reason. There may be a reason why they don't charge much, and and especially if they don't have any kind of a turnaround time. Uh, If there's no wait time and the prices seem too good to be true, mm, there may be a reason why nobody else is taking guitars to this fellow. So uh, be careful of that. But um, anyway, yep, broken headstock. I see it all the time, and uh, if it happens to you, I'm sorry. And we've got Paul on the line. Hi, Paul. What's up? Yeah. Hey, um, I was wondering if you have a second, if I could pick your brain on a what I think is probably a grounding issue on a Fender Telecaster. Okay. Uh, whenever I uh, my finger hits like the pick guard, you can hear this, uh, you know, it's kind of a staticky noise. And so I've uh, put the selector switch uh, in either the forward or or a bridge position, and it still does it. And I'm just wondering if that's a part of a grounding issue. Um, my understanding is that um, it's being caused by uh, the pick guard uh, coming in contact with the um, the neck pickup cover. Pickup cover. So, oh, really? So you so that chrome or you know metal neck pickup uh, yes. in the pit guard, um, that that cover is connected to ground, and uh, for whatever reason, whether it's your hand touching it or uh, um, uh-huh. there's static electricity that builds up in those pit guards and discharges into oh. the um, ground of the pickup, making a weird little static noise. Does right. That, does that make sense? Yes, it does. So, how would you typically fix that? Would you take the pick guard off and and kind of shave around? That's the, uh, yeah. If you if that's, I would look and see um, look and see what's going on there. If if the if the 
pickup cover is actually touching the pickguard. Uh -huh. What you can do is a couple of things. Um, uh, a guy I, I used to know used to take those pickguards and, and spray a little bit of lacquer on them to... Um, Open oh, a coating. Yeah. Um, but you can also approach it the way you're talking about by enlarging the hole just a tiny bit. Right. You should be able to um, just put... Um, just a little bit of maybe some masking tape or electrician's tape around uh -huh. either, either the pickup or the cutout hole to make a separation. To make a separation, yeah. And and you know, I'm trying to troubleshoot a guitar that I haven't yeah. seen, and I don't know. You know, no. so this is this is only a guess. You sure? This is only a guess, but that might be what's going on there, and. Uh, uh, you can try that. Is it, does it does it happen no matter where the pickup selector is? Yes, it's more pronounced when it is in the forward position for the okay. neck pickup, uh, but it still happens in the middle position for both or yeah. the bridge. Yeah. And um, but yeah, definitely way more pronounced on the neck. So maybe that. Well, that's my guess. Is exactly what yeah. you're saying. That's my guess. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I had read a, a couple of blog sites just kind of trying to troubleshoot this, and all of them are very, you know, it, it's not, they're, they're not attacking the problem. You know, a lot of people are saying take a dryer sheet and rub it all over the pick guard, and that seems to work a lot. And, and I'm thinking, well, okay, fine, but we're not getting to the root of the problem right. here. Right, and that, that would discharge some of the static electricity, but it's just going to build up again. Exactly. Yeah. And then yeah. some people say uh, take the pick guard off and lay down a, a sheet of the copper tape mm -hmm. over the whole back of the pick guard. And yeah. Yeah, if you did that, make sure you um, uh, ground the, the foil that's on there. Right. Uh, if, if, you, if you back a pick guard with shielding material and don't ground it, then it'll only make the problem worse, actually. Worse. Yeah. Because <laughs> now there's more surface area for something to touch against yeah, it. Yeah, not only that, but it can add to um, the inherent hum that's going on in, in single-coil pickups if you don't ground it properly. So. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I think your avenue of ex, you know, exploring is, makes way more sense than anything else at this stage of the game. Yeah. Does that help? It, it certainly does, and because I hadn't even thought of something like that. So I will take a close look at it and see if uh, if that is touching the actual uh, pick guard. Cool. And if it is, I'll go in and give it a little clean up and see if we can't make a separation there. See yeah. what happens. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Eric. I appreciate you taking the time. And, Man, uh, anytime. Yeah. Yeah. I'll uh, give you a shot again. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Talk to you later. Uh -huh. Bye. Bye-bye. Let's read some emails here. I get a lot of emails, and uh, you may find some of them interesting. So let's go to the emails. Yes, I do. I get stacks and stacks of letters, and here's one from Mitch. Mitch wants to know, hey, do you know of a company who makes a Strat-style trim arm that doesn't bend the threads after half a day? I went through two of these last week. Well, Mitch, that's a that's a, a good question, and it's a big problem on Strats. They Those tremolo arms are made out of pretty crappy metal, and uh, if you've got the tremolo set up so that, so that it's uh, flush with the body and you've got a lot of tension on it, so the springs in the back are pretty tight, then um, that arm doesn't really hold up to, to much before it just bends. And 
the more they bend, uh, the next step is that they will break. And they'll break off right at the threads. And then you've got a big problem because you've got the threaded end of your tremolo arm stuck in the block. And those can be really hard to get out. It can be done, but um, those are... (laughs) That's a big problem. So, uh, yeah, I do know of a company that makes a good one, and uh, they're called Callaham with an M, Callaham Guitar Parts, and uh, they are in Virginia, I believe. And um, you can check out their uh, all the parts that they make at callahamguitars.com. They sell all kinds of parts, and my understanding is that they machine them right there, and they make tremolo arms that are actually stainless steel, solid machined stainless steel and they are um they're unbendable i mean you it'll be the only uh tremolo arm that you'll need for the rest of your life if you get one of those they're just absolutely top-notch quality um in fact while you're at it get a whole tremolo system from them they they just make the best the best replacement parts that that i know of um, as far as bridges and, and things like that go, um, they're just top-notch quality, and, and it won't break, they won't bend, um, so check them out at callahamguitars.com. You can uh, call them at, uh, well, I'm not going to give out their number, because uh, I think that I've read their site before, and they're they're kind of specific about they want you to be prepared um, before you call them so that they can uh, take your order quickly. Uh, it, they... Uh, I, I don't think that they really have someone there dedicated to uh, manning the phones. Uh, I think basically you're going to call up and talk to the people that are making your parts. So you can order online, you can order uh, by calling them, but uh, check them out, callahamguitars.com. They make top-notch stuff. Another email here from Daniel. Daniel asks, I have a 58 Fender Duosonic with dirty pots and in need of a fret job. Can you give me an estimate for how much that would likely cost? Thanks. So, Daniel, well, uh, dirty pots on old guitars is really no big deal. Um, 99% of the time, you can spray those out with electronics cleaner and they just jump right back to life. The last thing you want to do is go replacing those pots because uh, those are original to the guitar and it makes the guitar more valuable to have the original parts. Plus, uh, in my opinion, those old pots, those old potentiometers, mm, you really can't get anything like them today. The quality uh, of the pots made back then, uh, this is a 58, uh, yeah, 58 Fender Duosonic. The quality of the pots uh, that were in guitars back then uh, pretty greatly exceeds even uh, some of the best pots that you can get today in my opinion, um, but so those can be sprayed out and with some electronics cleaner and they'll they'll probably just jump right back to life. So that's no big deal. The fret job uh, is a little bit bigger deal. Um, that's likely going to cost you in the neighborhood of 300 bucks. Um, a lot of people don't understand this, but you also have to replace the nut when you do a refret. Um, you're changing the height of the frets, therefore the... Um, nut slots are going to be cut too deep for your new frets. So you have to really, or the, the right way to do it is to put a new bone nut on there. Some people will just put a shim under the old nut, and uh, I guess that's acceptable in some situations, but that's really not the right way to do it. And especially on a 58 fender, um, you really should have a new nut made. Um, there is some, there is kind of a school of thought about how um, uh, keeping the original nut on that guitar is uh kind of adds to the value, um, and it 
I suppose it does, but uh, if you take it off and you just keep it in the case, I don't know, no, really no great harm. And um, it's going to sound and perform better with a new nut uh, if you get a fret job. So really, that's that's the way to do it. New nut, new frets, um, that's going to run about, you know, three to four hundred bucks. Um, the dirty pots that you're talking about isn't going to be any extra cost. So that is going to include frets, a nut, and a setup. And of course, strings and tacks are always extra. That's how much I would charge if it were in my shop. Um, your mileage may vary. As I said before, uh, guitar repair prices do vary, and they vary quite a bit regionally. So uh, keep that in mind. But thank you for the email, Daniel. Now, um, tell you what, we're going to take a, uh, a little break here and come back with our guest. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. Mr. John Guilford of Guilford Guitars in Glassford, Illinois. John's made custom guitars for uh, Ted Nugent, Ty Tabor, a host of rock stars and guitar aficionados alike. Uh, John has been making guitars for, uh, gosh, ever since I've known him, at least 20 years. And uh, the quality of his guitars, uh, even back then, was just impeccable. He's got a great attention to detail and he's got a great ear for tone, and he's just a superb craftsman in every way. John, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's good to be here. Man, I'm just so excited to catch up with you. I don't. I, it's probably been at least ten, maybe fifteen years since we've even spoken. I would have to say it's uh, it's been a darn long time, man. It's been too long, <laughs> and uh, yeah. that's I. That's why I wanted to have you on the. Um, the first edition of my new podcast because uh, I was just excited to catch up with you uh, in addition to being a, a big fan of, of your work, and I've always been. So um, why don't you tell me what's new in John Guilford's world? A day in the life of Guilford Guitars. What's it like? Um, you know, I today it, was, uh, it went fairly easy, I guess. I, was, I just did basically stuff out of the shop you know now do you do um do you also do repairs or are you strictly building guitars now i am strictly building guitars cool okay back when we we lived in the same uh town in the mid 90s that's when i met you and uh back then you were doing repairs for a while and you were also building guitars and uh i just (laughs) you know i 
I I always I think of you from now uh, from time again because uh, you taught me a lot back then. You know, you were a little older than me and had more experience. You taught mm-hmm. me you taught me some cool stuff that I still remember uh, to this day. I think about oh, John taught me that when I go to make uh, nice crisp fret ends. When I'm doing yeah, a refret, yeah, I'd forgotten all about that. That we went over that stuff. You, you know? I mean, it, yeah, you were the um, the the fret end guru. Mm. Look, you know, <laughs> it's a that's a signature thing. I mean, everybody, uh, you know, they kind of have it's a it's such a personal thing. Fret work can be that way a lot yeah, of the time. Yeah, it is, <laughs> and and a lot of guys really just round those over and smoosh them and. Uh, uh, a lot yeah. of guys do kind of a weird triangle shape, and a lot of guys like mm-hmm. a nice crisp half moon on their on their fret ends. I'm more of a mm-hmm. I'm more of a half moon kind of guy, but um, you're right; it is a total signature thing, and I can um, I can usually kind of uh, recognize a, a a refret that I've done, even if I don't remember doing the guitar, just from uh-huh. the fret ends. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the coolest thing I have found actually having been around it. Uh, as long as I have, as I've started to see examples of my own work that I did uh, years and years ago, you know, some of the first guitars I made, uh, you know, and you know me, Eric, I did a lot of, you know, work in retail sales, pushing guitars, and it was always a joy to, you know, open up a guitar and uh, it's like Christmas, you know, yeah. for a little while you get to see this beautiful thing in front of you and it's just, it's awesome, man, but I found this one thing that tops it is to actually see a, an old guitar that you made come back to you years later. That's it cool. It doesn't get any better. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, and I've... You, I've, know, you start to you start to just relive all the moments and uh, these things that, if you hadn't seen that guitar, you, you know, it would be completely lost to you. You'd never think of it again, but when you see it, it's just there immediately. Yeah. It's I've, amazing. I've experienced that, too, and, and uh, one thing that has been neat uh, in that is that um, I've also been able to see my progress. You know, I, I see a guitar that I made five years ago come in, and yeah, I think, yeah. all right, I'm getting I'm getting a little better at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh, but I don't know between well between you and I, I see old guitars, and I, I you know, and they they you know we've like you said, uh, I've improved as a builder, but. You know, those flaws, you can't recreate that stuff. That's or, true, and some, sometimes you know, the flaws are the best part. Oh, yeah, because it's like, you know, that's where you're at at the time, and it's honest, and it's just, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I value that. I have to say, to me, it's, it's no less valuable a guitar. Yeah. In my, oh, yeah. Well, special stuff. Um, let me ask you this, man. When you, um, I don't know how many guitars you're making nowadays, Um but when when you start a guitar, what do you start with? Are you are you starting with um, uh, pre-routed blanks in any way, or are you starting pretty much from scratch lumber? Mm-hmm. Well, it's basically scratch lumber for the most part. Yeah. Um, I never picked up uh, metal working skills myself as a builder, so you know I'm not you know working a metal lathe and trying to bang out my own bridges and sure. Or or even wind my own pickups and do all that stuff. Um, well, making hardware but, is is, uh, is is, yeah. is is kind of a silly thing to do with um, uh, how easy it is to get good quality hardware. It, it would be kind of a waste of time uh, to try to make your own. But as far as the woodworking goes, you're you're basically building guitars from the ground up. Yeah, exactly. That's you know that's really where it you know it starts for me. I just start 
sourcing raw woods, you know, I get asked this question a lot. I mean, where do you buy your wood? And I'm like, anywhere I can find it anymore. Sure. And I remember, (laughs) you know, this is what you were doing 20 years ago. You were making um, guitars basically from scratch. And I I actually, uh, uh, I don't know if you remember, I bought, I think, a couple of neck blanks and a couple of body blanks that you had had worked out. And I finished them, and those were, man, those guitars turned out super nice but uh i've never been a ground up guy i always get them kind of uh, roughed in and then go from there so man I, I have a, i have a lot of respect for guys like you that are that are basically taking uh cut down trees and making guitars out of them <laughs> well i have to be honest i haven't ever cut down a tree and made a guitar out of it <laughs> but i you know i work from boards yeah the bigger sure. the better you know and they're getting tougher to find yeah, and I've heard that from uh, a lot of guys in the business. It is getting tougher to find, and a lot of guys are going to um, reclaimed lumber out of uh, 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 old uh, barns and old remodeled yeah. homes and things, you know, and that's kind of a, a unique thing. Yeah. But you're not doing any of that, are you? No. Well, actually, not at all. Um, and if I did, I'd probably make furniture out of it, to be honest, or something. Yeah. <laughs> Other than a guitar, I've seen, you know, obviously, you know, it seemed like last year, started to see a lot of pine bodies, knotty pine and stuff come up, and I was like, uh, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I get it. I understand why people are doing that. And, you know, really, it it kind of makes sense in a way. And, you know, maybe they sound good. I don't know. It's it's not my cup of tea. I'm I'm looking for woods that, uh, you know, because to me, an instrument, you know, even just the namesake instrument is something that requires you put everything you can into it. Yeah, not just go to it because it's sort of you know readily available or whatever. So yeah, you know I, I don't think I could go there unless it was a really really exceptional piece of like pine wood or something. Yeah. But, uh, well, yeah, I don't and um, do you consider yourself a luthier? Is is that what the word that you use, or do you just consider yourself a guitar builder? Well, I do think of myself as a luthier. I suppose by definition, it's just a, a builder of stringed instruments. Yeah. Um, where, you know, I, I still, you know, in my own mind, I think of, a, you know, luthiers who make arch-top guitars yeah. as being sort of at the top of the food chain, you know, if you will, that um, what it takes a guy like Bob Benedetto to make an instrument sing and be its sweetest and, you know, to, to do everything he does to carve the top, tap tune it, get it perfect, you know, that's... That's really kind of the That's topic. an art, and that's a, it's getting to be a yeah. lost art. Yeah, it is, you know. And, uh, you know, I got into the business back, you know, spun it off of, you know, down in my basement. It was a mad hobby that I did. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I figured out how to make it pay, you know. eBay yeah. came along, and I started pushing some stuff, and cash flow happened. And, uh, you know, and it's still, to me, I mean, I'm, I'm, I pursue my passions. I came up through the 80s. And, you know, electric guitars, for me, are a big part of why I'm involved with music at all. So I just stick to what I know and what I like, and I keep building that way. And it's, you know, I've I've been at it long enough that it it wouldn't take me much to go ahead and start making arch tops or flat tops or, you know, whatever kind of guitar I wanted. But electric guitars, you know, they're still close to my heart, but... You know, financially speaking, I mean, it's hard to beat that, yeah. uh, you know, cash flow and the turn rate that you can get with those. So uh, it's, it's something that's worked for me, and I've just kept after it. And there are a lot of work, especially the way you do them, but it seems to me that an acoustic instrument, 
uh, is just that much more work. And I've never, um, I've never done that. And I, that's, you know, I hesitate to call myself a luthier because, uh, in fact, I don't because, um, well, for a couple reasons, one, for one reason, I don't make guitars from the ground up from scratch like you do. And, and, uh, and so I consider you a luthier, but, um, the other reason I don't is it's, it's a little bit of an antiquated term. It, it implies that there's a loot somewhere in, somewhere yeah, in the equation, that's and a root word, right? I've yeah. never even uh, played a lute. So, uh, but no, I, it's it's um, I just it's a yeah. joke. It's a joke. But I just don't consider myself a luthier. But I do consider guys like you to be true luthiers and uh, true instrument makers, and uh, I have a lot of respect for it. So, um, let me ask you this: What is your theory of what gives a good electric guitar good tone? Well, I, I think tone comes from just about everywhere. I mean, you know, if you tap a pencil, number two pencil just right, you're going to hear something, mm-hmm. you know. So sure. it's a matter of taking a look at the materials and figuring out what you can get out of it. I mean, I think that, um, you know, you can take a beautiful piece of spruce and shape it into that arch top. Um, if you know what you're doing and if you've done it a number of times, the process of getting more out of that material gets to be easier. And in electric guitar solid body stuff, um, I think the challenge is a little bit steeper yet, you know, because it's still, your construction is, okay, it's, it's solid for the most part, unless you're doing things like I do with tone vents and whatnot to uh, to change that. Uh-huh. Um, you've got to be very careful, you know, because it's like it tightens up, if you will. Um, your margin of error, if you don't grab the right you know, neck blank to go with the body blank with the top material and, and, you know, work with them all together. Uh, you can get something that's just not as sweet as it could be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I, you know, I have to balance that out to be honest, Eric, I don't, I don't have piles of wood around, you know, I, I, I'm a realist and, uh, you know, I just use what I can and, uh, partner them the best that I can, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's, I mean, okay, let's say I have 100 bodies and 100 necks, and uh, I have all the time in the world to go ahead and tap them all out and uh, and organize them, you know, just yeah. partner them together. Yeah, cool. You're going to get great guitars. Mm-hmm. Um, have, have, okay, and, and that's easy, actually, if you have that much choice and whatnot. Uh, I'm in Illinois, and yeah. the climate here is a mess, okay? <laughs> My woods, I mean... You, any time of year, they're they're hot, they're cold. The moisture sure. content goes up, it goes down. I do everything I can to keep it steady, yeah. right? But it's just a fact. I've learned how, and I think I've improved as a luthier by wrestling with that stuff. Sure, absolutely. I, I think I think I get more out of it by wrestling with, um, you know, not having huge quantities of wood. To be honest. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, it makes sense. So have Have you? I, I just figure it's toughened me up a little bit. Yeah. That's great. Uh, you know, when I struggle with the similar thing in Seattle, it's, uh, uh, it's not, it's, it's not an ideal climate, but it's, it's probably not as bad as Illinois. It doesn't get as cold. Um, have you found, uh, what for you is kind of a magic combination of scale length and radius and nut width, or do they vary from model to model? Well, I'm I'm very set in my way. I I suppose at this point, it's 25 and a half inch scale length, a 12 inch radius, you mm-hmm. know, and a thin neck carp is where I'm at right now, 
by and large. Yeah. Um, I'm not afraid to change any of it. And, uh, you Can know, I- for a while I was carving out my necks pretty fat. I started working with some endorses and, uh, you know, and figuring out what they like and uh, kind of going, you know, if you want to make a business out of it, it doesn't pay to sort of be too extreme one way or the other. So, in where I was, you know, um, learning the business with Ibanez guitars and going through all of those instruments, that's pretty much the spec that Ibanez had. It's the spec that so many players out there, when they grab a neck off the wall somewhere, that's what they're going to find comfortable. Yeah, and that's what so, kind of what they expect, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, and, I, you know, I haven't had a problem with it. It's just I get custom orders from guys that, uh, you know, want a different scale length or up with or something like that, and neck carve is very, you know, really specific stuff. And I, I shake it up a little bit, but, you know, for the most part, I keep it pretty, you know. Pretty standard. Uh, yeah, I, I noticed um, on I think it was on your website or on Facebook. I'm not sure, but I noticed you're doing uh, you did a couple of baritones too. Yeah, yeah. I just happened to I was you know digging around on you know YouTube and I found this dude that uh, demoed out one of the baritone guitars that I made and I'm like, God, that guy really played it good. Cool. You know, well, nothing yeah. sounds like that. They've got a great sound. <laughs> yeah, he he made it sound exceptional. Yeah. Cool. I couldn't help but kind of, uh, you know, try and uh, share that with some folks. Yeah. Awesome. Do you do your own finishes? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, this is, I take it as far as I can outside of the metal work and, the, you know, winding pickups, put it that way. So finish work to me is a, it's a really important thing. It um, is. I'm very proud as a, you know, as a builder to uh, still shoot nitrocellulose. Uh, I see so many polyester finishes and, yeah. you know urethane or whatever and uh uv cured stuff and all that i just don't go there i still earn it i still you know and i I, you know for me the reward is that nitrocellulose is just um you know 10 20 30 years i I saw my first checked old guitar that i made oh cool which kind of confirmed yeah it was really awesome uh and i was like okay it's going to be all right i mean down you know as the years tick on i know i've got a guitar that's just going to you know, hold up that way and be closer to people's hearts as yeah. a result. It's harder, though. I mean, you're the, I'm the guy in the shop. I'm spraying that lacquer. It takes more codes. You have to wait for cure time. Oh, it's a um, mess. It's, I, I literally, I, I hate finishing. I, you know, I, I do about one guitar a month and, uh, man, it's, it's a <laughs> yeah. lot of work, isn't it? It's poison too. I mean, it's really, um, not fun to yeah. mess with in any way, but I, <laughs> I agree with you that it's, there's kind of no other option. La, uh, nitro lacquer is an organic substance mm-hmm. and, uh, it just beats the heck out of poly, um, for, mm-hmm. for tone, mm-hmm. I think. Oh, I do too. Yeah. It's uh, it's really you know if you want to make a special guitar, it's really the only choice you've got in my book. Yep. You know? Yeah, I agree. A nice thin but glossy uh, uh, nitro lacquer, nothing beats it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> so, um, tell me this, man. What what uh, kind of hardware are you using? Do you stick with particular brands? I do, and you know I wanted to make a business out of this, right? And I'm an unknown guitar maker. Um, I just picked the stuff that I respected the most from, you know, my playing years for the most part were back in the 80s, you know, yeah. to be Eddie Van Halen. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, 
And uh, so, you know, for me, it was Seymour Duncan and Floyd Rose and, you know, Tone Pro's bridges work excellent oh, on yeah. my guitar. You know, so I recognized early on that it's okay to coattail established brand names. Oh, yeah. You know. You bet. I, I, I made peace with that early on, and I, I have not regretted it, you know. Seymour Duncan was a company that was excellent to partner with. I mean, they were, you know, just uh, provided an excellent product, but mm-hmm. and the way they would work with me, you know, and uh, did everything they could to help me out. I totally appreciate it. Well, and it's hard to beat an industry standard, you know. Um, uh, somebody like uh, Tone Pros is a is a more recent company, but uh, they're they're just making top notch stuff. And Seymour uh, Duncan, of course, he's they've oh, they've been making top quality pickups for decades. Yeah, exactly. It's hard and to you beat that. Yourself, you know, what are the odds that on my first few efforts I'm going to make a pickup better than Seymour Duncan? Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, that was kind of the adage as well. It's like, you know, there's a lot of, and the learning curve, you'd have to set up for it, and, you know. Yeah. And recent years, it gets easier. I mean, you see raw materials come through and stuff, and uh, maybe there'll be a time, but, uh, you know. I'm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, there is a big learning curve. I, I mess around with pickups a little bit. If I have been for the past couple of years, I usually make my own pickups for, um, my tellies, but, uh, well, I call them tellies. I don't want Fender to sue me. They're not tellies. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. but, um, man, there was a big learning curve and I, there was a long time before I felt uh, comfortable enough to, um, uh, to really put them out there. But, um, you know, it's, I, I totally agree with you, man. It's, uh, going with established brands is really, uh, kind of, it's, it's, uh, the way to go as far as, um, hardware and, and, and pickups. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's just to be expected. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know how far I would have gotten in my effort to be, uh, a luthier and make a living out of it if I hadn't, uh, partnered with people to one extent or another oh sure you know um and you know full-on businesses or individual players or whatever um uh i think i've got further and uh you know just by making some of those relationships and sticking to them you know yeah and you know i i know you've um you're making a a custom uh line or a, a signature model for ty Tabor. uh i know you've got um uh, gosh, you've got your guitars in shops all over the world, in in France and and uh, in the U.S. and in Japan. I mean, I, you mentioned earlier that you're kind of an unknown guitar maker, but uh, don't sell yourself short, man. This is uh, uh, that's that's not entirely true, John. Yeah, I, I guess you know. And just last year at the Dallas Guitar Show, um, for the first time, I saw a guy walking around with a Guilford Guitars T-shirt. Uh, that's at the awesome. Top of the show, yet. And so, I don't know. It kind of. Um, was one little indicator to me that maybe I'm getting somewhere. Sure. Know, but hey, man, uh, little little things like that uh, uh, can really give you a big morale boost. You know, I've, I I and that just the little guitars that I make. Uh, uh, I noticed a few years ago that they um, I happened to to search on Google and and. Uh, they were um, a few used models were selling for more than I was asking for them new, and I thought, hey. That's not right. I better raise my prices. So I did. You know, I mean, that's uh, lesson yeah. learned, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's when you look at the marketability of a guitar, you're the guy that makes it. And so many small businesses, you know, lose your shops or whatever, they're going direct. I was having a conversation with the distributor today that uh, 
had, was experiencing, you know, the problems of, you know, being in the middle of the chain, the supply chain, and it's so easy for businesses to go direct to consumers. And I, I still do. You know, there are chances for me to do that. Um, I still have to take custom orders. But, um, you know, I still value having dealerships out there. Yeah. And the landscape has certainly changed. It's not the same industry it was 5, 10, you know, 15 and 20 years back. Yeah, no. I learned a lot of lessons, you know, and uh, I actually, in my mind's eye, I expected to come up and I expected to have, you know, a dozen dealerships that would just continue to feed me new orders and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, it's a different situation now. You just have to look at things differently and, uh, you know, yeah, those... the thing about being, you know, a small business like mine is I can still you know, adapt reasonably quickly. Uh-huh. I don't have to hit the brakes as hard. I can sure. <laughs> yeah. And those uh, little yeah. relationships like that with dealers and whatnot really have to be nurtured, and it takes, uh, it takes a lot of time, and that's a lot of time away from building, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when you sell it to them for X amount, and, you know, you see it go eventually, that you know, they make their cut, and you're like, ah, you know. But on the other hand, you know, I still value having dealers, and I don't. I don't think they're ever really going to go away. Of course, you know. Yeah. For me, I, that would be, you know. I need them out there to have my guitars on walls, sure. so that people can actually try them, you know, and things like that. Yeah, you that's know. some of the best exposure you can get because you know, as, as YouTube clips and pictures on the internet and uh, uh, testimonials, they only go so far, man. Once you get that guitar in your hands, it's a different ball game. Exactly. Exactly. So true. Yeah. And you get to repeat business too. I mean, there's that. Oh yeah. Yeah, sure, you bet. <laughs> yeah. You know, I um I get so many people that ask me about um getting into the industry and I I'm I'm more of a, a repairman than a than a builder. I, I really uh my building uh uh is more of a hobby that makes me a little money, but forty hours a yeah. week I'm doing guitar repair and so many people uh ask me, Man, how do I get into the business? How do I get into building guitars? How do I get into repairing guitars? Um, how did you get into it, and what advice would you give people? Well, I just, as a builder, I just did it because I just flat out wanted to. I just said to myself, you know, there are other people in the world who can make a guitar, you know, for money, make a living out of yeah. it, so why not me? Why not you, yeah. I just said, you know, I can. I see people doing it. I want to do it, and I just I did everything I could from there on out. A lot of, you know, a whole lot of studying and learning and and trial and error. You know, yeah. You figure out what works, what doesn't. You upgrade, you tool up, and you just keep you just keep pushing. If you've got the drive, if you want to do it, it's going to happen. Yeah. Right. And I mean, there's so much information that floats around out there. You know. Uh, it's easier now than it ever was. Yeah, know, I agree. It's yeah. it's a unique craft, though. You know, I mean, if you want to be a uh, if you want to be a lawyer, you go to law school. If you want to be a doctor, mm-hmm. you go to med school. If you want to <laughs> build guitars, you kind of just have to get your hands dirty and um, find people to teach you and uh, uh, get as much experience as you can. I, I suppose there are some schools, but it's by and large that's not the way people learn. No, well, yeah, there's those schools and all that, and it. Uh, you know, let's say in uh, there's still a you know a mindset out there. If you're building arch tops, you know it's it's good if you uh, had an apprenticeship with somebody that was yeah. already established. And uh, there's still that part, yeah. you know, going on. But uh, it it really doesn't matter. 
if you put your mind to making a fine arch top, you're going to make a fine arch top, mm -hmm. I think. And you can set that next to the guy that had the apprenticeship and compare, and it's anybody's bet which guitar is going to sell. Sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's there's a lot of different avenues, and, uh, you know, it, you know, um, back in 87, 88, I went to GIT, and... Uh, the Guitar you know, Institute of Technology down in uh, L.A.? Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, of course, you'd see, you know, that's basically the book learning thing, and then you've got the street guys that learned everything they could, you know, playing in clubs and bars, and, uh, you know, they didn't know their scales or their modes or whatever, but they had a feel. Sure. And their approach to playing the guitar back then, I mean, it was just as valid. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. You just follow your heart, and hopefully if you stay true to what you do, you're going to find that uh, the time goes by and that it's worthwhile. Yeah. It's not so much of a struggle. Yeah, man, that's that's great advice. Follow your heart in anything, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's well, true for me. John, yeah. I, I just I can't thank you enough for joining me on this uh, <laughs> debut yeah, episode of the Fret Files podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, it's an honor, Eric. Oh, man, uh, good, good. Again, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we'll uh, catch up with you later. Anytime, Eric. Thanks, John. You bet. Thank you, Chief. Well, that wraps it up for this edition, the first edition, uh, the maiden voyage of the Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop podcast. I want to thank uh, my guest, John Guilford, for being with us here. And uh, you can check out John's fine creations at guilfordguitars.com. That's G-U-I-L-F-O-R-D. Check them out, and uh, they might have he might have a, a, a dealer near you, so go get one in your hands and, and, and check out his craftsmanship. I also want to thank Michael Van Dieven over at ufoship.com for hosting this podcast, and uh, I want to thank Emerald City Guitars. If you happen to be in the Seattle metro area and you need guitar repair, come see me. I'm Eric Daw. You can uh, get a hold of me at ericdaw.com that's e-r-i-c-d-a-w.com or just come see me at emerald city guitars we're in beautiful pioneer square in downtown seattle washington and uh thanks for listening see you next time <laughs>